Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, we have a special guest with us today, and he is probably one of the best storytellers out there. Apparently, he has breakfast with Larry King almost every morning. In fact, he wrote his bio in his book, My Remarkable Journey. I'd like you to welcome Cal Fussman to our show. Cal, welcome to Secrets of Success. Thank you, Ken. It's great to be here. Well, you know, it's just a pleasure to have you with us, and I know you do a lot of work around, you know, conversations and communications and questions. You're one of the world's, you're rated as one of the world's best interviewers, so we'll get to that in a minute, but before we get to there, what I like to do in the show, Cal, is always let the Secrets of Success or SOS listeners get to know our guests personally in their journey. So, Cal... Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and your history and your sort of family background and the journey to where you are today. Okay, I can make this very local to you. Can you now? I can because about a month and a half ago, I did the grouse grind. Oh, did you now? I well, did. I love it. I love it. I love I it. There's and that. you're still walking? I, I am still walking. I don't know if you've ever heard of this group, this company called Spartan. They run obstacle races. Yes, I have. Yes. And the founder and CEO, Joe DeSena, uh, either took a liking to me or took a liking to want to torture me. Uh, but he has grabbed me by the lapels and trying to get me to run and finish his races. And so he got me up to Vancouver to do this grouse's grind. And man, it is beautiful. Oh, it is beautiful, but it's intense. It's intense. And My wife has done the grouse grind. I have personally not done it. So for those oh, of you that are listening no. to her, for no. those of you, yeah, I know, I know it'd be on the list. But those of you that are listening that are not familiar with Vancouver, we have uh, beautiful mountains right there along the seaside, and grouse is one of the ski hills. But during the spring and the summer, you can hike from the bottom to the top, which is normally a gondola ride. So this is some really fit people where you go vertical, and I'm not sure exactly what the distance is. Maybe you remember what it is, uh, Cal, but it is uh, beautiful, but it also is a workout. The distance was far, and, <laughs> and then you get up to the top, and then it got windy, and the gondolas weren't working. Like, well, you oh, really? were working, but you couldn't get in them because they were scared. So we get stuck on top. Well, there we go. So you got to hang out a little bit further with the view, maybe have dinner up there, uh, which I'm sure would have been packed at that point uh, eventually. And obviously you got back because now you're in L.A. I am back in L.A. And then getting to your question, uh, originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up in New York between Brooklyn and Long Island, which is adjacent. And what did your, uh, Cal, what did your parents do for a living growing up? What's sort of like the childhood like? My dad worked for IBM as a manager. Nobody ever knew what he did. That was like the family secret. <laughs> you know, we, we, some of us thought like, he worked for the FBI or the CIA and, uh, we just didn't know what was happening. We knew he left at the same time in the morning and got on a train to go into New York City and then came back roughly at the same time every night. Uh, he was the definition of clockwork, and it had a big impact on my life because by the time I hit 22 or 23 and was out working and at a magazine that I really loved, and then it folded, went belly up. Mm. I made a choice uh, to take my trains a very different way. And so I went over to Europe and 
started traveling with a few friends. And I would get on buses and trains after they went back to the States and look for empty seats next to people who looked interesting, who looked like they could trust me. And I would sit next to them because I hardly had any money. But once I was seated next to this person that I had sort of carefully chosen, I would start a conversation. And the conversation would go on and on. And by the end of the ride, and keep in mind, I would buy tickets, not even know where, where they were going. That didn't matter. What mattered was to walk down the aisle and picking the right empty seat. Because wow. by the end of that ride, by the end of that conversation, I needed that person to invite me home. Because otherwise, I had no roof over my head. And so, how did that work out for you, Cal, while you were doing that? It was amazing. Uh, what happened is people took me in. And not only that, they started passing me around to their neighbors, friends, relatives. And I would just go from one place sometimes families would take me back to the bus station put me on it and then even buy the ticket and then when i got to the stop somebody else in the same family would be waiting to pick me up so what and, countries were you in at that time in europe when you were doing this Cal? oh wow I, I, just about everywhere in europe how old were you at that time well, the trip ultimately lasted for about 10 years. Well, that is, uh, that is a timeline, isn't it? And Yeah, and it wasn't only Europe. It went to South America, Africa, not much in Asia. Uh, and I didn't go to Australia because they speak English there, and it seemed too the same for me at the time. Mm. Ten, uh, ten figured, years. Help, help me understand. Help the listeners understand, Cal. You're ten years. I don't want to call it a nomad, but really having this sort of uh, fluid lifestyle. Uh, what was prompting that? What was driving this? And, and how were you living for that time while you were sort of gallivanting around the world? Well, some people call me a vagabond. Uh, ultimately and I may get to this, uh, I did meet a woman on the bus after the 10 years. Uh, and here's the thing about the bus. If I'm going down that aisle and I'm looking for that empty seat and I spot a beautiful woman, you would normally think, oh, go sit next to her. And I mean, this woman could be smiling at me. She could have no rings on her fingers. She could even be a supermodel, but I would never take that empty seat because, well, if you were looking at me, you would know why. If you're me, you're thinking, well, she ain't taking me home. So basically, the trip just kept going from family to family. And then 10 years later, uh, I met a beautiful woman on a bus on the way to a magical beach in Brazil, and that's what ended the trip. Now, the thing about the 10 years in between was, like, how did I support myself? Right. It wasn't as hard as you would think because most people were taking me in and feeding me and showing me where they live, introducing me to people. And so... I obviously did need money. I did some work. I would pick grapes. I would carry lumber. I would cut the heads off of chickens, what, you know, whatever people wanted me to do. Mm. And that got me by. And, of course, I came back to the United States to see my family and friends at times. And when I would, I would manage to do, manage to do a few magazine stories and put a, a few grand in the bank that enabled me to keep the trip rolling. So really you would, I mean, you're a storyteller, but your gift is a journalist or a writer, and, or at least your passion is. Interesting question, because I am now a podcaster, like you. <laughs> a communicator, 
a awesome. communicator through my mouth, which it wasn't really the case. And there, there's a, like a big difference uh, between being a writer and a broadcaster or a podcaster. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're a writer, uh, in my case anyway, I'm walking around and I'm, I'm talking to myself a lot. I'm in my own head. I'm even writing in my head. A lot of people think that I write at the typewriter. No, I write when I'm walking around the streets. I could actually see the paragraphs in my head right in front of me. And then when I get back to the typewriter, I just type them in, mm. or the computer in this case. Now we're in an age where it seems like the audio form is king. And when you think about it, People are listening to this podcast through earbuds that are basically blocking out much of the rest of the world and at the same time are only like inches, less than, less than an inch maybe from their brains. And so this is a really powerful medium. It's almost like music and it's a huge discovery for me. Mm. Well, of course, one of the things is, and because I'm a pod, not only a podcast host, but a podcast consumer, is that the flexibility, the ability to have your phone with you and listen anytime, anywhere, uh, on the go, uh, you know, if I'm working somewhere and the background is physical or working out, then I can consume, I can consume Cal's podcast. So, by the way, what is the name of your podcast? It's called Big questions big questions big and we're going to come to that awesome. what was that uh and we're going to come to your big questions here in a moment about changing questions with it so big questions by cal fussman so listen to that so as we're doing our interview with cal then you can always slip over to his podcast after you've listened to this one and consume some of the things there so you're you meet this person in brazil you you are a writer you're you, I mean, each each writer, and I've written books as well, Cal, is that everybody has their own method or process that works for them. What were you mostly writing about when you came back to the U.S.? So, I mean, you show up there. I mean, there's some people that write about different content. But what was really sort of the story themes that you were providing to these magazines? Well, when I was traveling and right when I came back, my stories revolved around quests, so, and they were very authentic. If I told you that when I was 16 years old, I wanted to be a Golden Gloves boxer, and my hero was Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. and I signed up, entered the Golden Gloves, and had no idea what I was doing outside of what I watched on television. And then in my first fight, with my father in attendance, I get in the ring with a guy who's been doing it for like 10 years, and he just pops me. And I wake up with the referee's fingers <laughs> over my nose, like four, five, six. And I get up, and I immediately realize, you know what, I'm okay. It was a huge crowd, and they were cheering for me. And it, it just kind of, I don't want to say it spooked me, but it, like it made me look at the crowd. And in that moment, I realized, man, you got to go attack that guy. And so the next thing I knew, I see his right hand coiled backward and just is about to come forward the bell rings and the end of the first round is upon us. I go back to the corner, I sit down, and now my head is really clear. Like, you gotta go after that guy. Just throw punches, you can do this. And the referee comes over and he's asking me something all I'm hearing is my own voice in my head, like, go get him, go get him, you can do this. 
Next thing I know, the referee is in the center of the ring, waving his hands, ending the fight, because, like, I was knocked out. I mean, I was on my feet, I was up, but I just wasn't there. (laughs) And so, years later, I just, after I meet the woman who became my wife on that bus in Brazil, we moved back to the States, and I'm watching a fight on the television. Is Julio Cesar Chavez, at that point, junior welterweight champ of the world, undefeated, and he's got his opponent against the corner. I'm screaming at him, finish the guy off. And my wife, who really doesn't speak English, but knows enough to laugh at me, because as soon as my family met her, the first thing they say to her is, hey, you ever hear the story of Cal and the Golden Gloves? So she starts saying, what are, you, what, are you, what are you yelling at this guy? We all know your stories as a boxer. And I looked at the television, and I'm looking at Julio Cesar Chavez, and I say, and this goes back to your question, what did you write about? I say, you know what? I'm going to step in the ring with that guy, Julio Cesar Chavez. My wife starts cracking up. Julio knocks out his opponent. At this point, he's like 87 wins, no losses, 75 knockouts. Hits guys so hard to the body that they urinate blood for weeks. I go into the offices of GQ to an editor named David Granger, and I say, hey, if I fight Julio Cesar Chavez, will GQ run the story? And David didn't quite know what to ask. He said, I'm going to have to talk to the big boss. And the big boss says, as long as he signs a waiver uh, saying that we're not responsible for his death. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'll buy the story. And so that led to the story of me getting in the ring with Julio Cesar Chavez when he was undefeated in Toluca, Mexico. And it is the essence of what my stories were like that time period where something would happen in my life, I would have to correct a mistake, I would go on some gigantic adventure, and then write about it. Wow. And so you were, uh, as they would say in the business, pitching a story and setting it up for them, and away you go. That's it. Now, after a while, what happened is my wife got pregnant, baby one, baby two, baby three, And my writing style started to change. And same editor, David Granger, had moved to Esquire magazine, and a column was started called What I've Learned. And it was all the wisdom accumulated by extraordinary people. It ran only in their words, but you needed a really good interviewer to sit down with these people, get into their souls, and extract the wisdom. Now, keep in mind that when you're interviewing presidents like Jimmy Carter or uh, premiers like Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, they've been interviewed a million times. So getting fresh insights is not that easy. Mm. And that became my forte. I interviewed hundreds of people who changed the way the world worked over about 20 years. And then you would write about it. Well, I would write it in their words. It was their wisdom. So it appeared in their words. You would not see me. You would not see my questions. You would only see their answers. Mm. It was called What I've Learned, and it became the most sought-after piece in the magazine, uh, which is why it lasted about 20 years. And it was really a beautiful way to spend a couple of decades because imagine, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing with this podcast where you're just wanting to know the secrets that led to their success. Mm -hmm. And so I got a chance to ask the world's most successful, compelling, talented people Anything I wanted. It was a beautiful time. Sweet. 
Sweet. Well, thanks, Cal, for that. I mean, when you think about just the richness and learning from all that wisdom around there, that has to rub off on you, doesn't it? I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so I'll withdraw the question. My my wife wishes. (laughs) Your wife wishes. Well, you certainly had a great time with it, and, and you know, thank you for that, Cal. So as part of this, you've now really developed one of your niches or one of the things you do is, as a speaker is sharing some of these insights, these abilities that you have that you implement in sort of in this space. So a couple of the things we talked about before we got on air was, you know, let's go right back to the train in Europe. You obviously have to have conversation skills or the ability to have a positive conversation if people are going to invite you back to your house. So when we start thinking about the secrets of success listeners, we'll just transition here now, Cal, and you know, thank you for this story, but now start to glean out of your wisdom what you teach others. You do keynote presentations around conversations. What is it that you learned? What was it that you were doing? What is it that I, as an individual listening, can shift or consider to have better uh, conversations immediately after this show? Well, first thing you could do when you meet somebody new is aim your first question for the heart. Give, Give me an example. Well, an example would be figuring out what the person you are meeting is passionate about. And it's if you have never seen them before and you're meeting them on a street corner, well, then the conversation is going to start with some basics, you know, like where you're from, but quickly as you can, get it to the place where the person is talking about what they feel passionate about because that is something that is what's going to make them open up. Mm -hmm. Now it can also be a simple, say you're a salesperson and you walk into somebody's office. Now the thing about sales is, is a lot of people think, okay, I got to perfect my two minute elevator pitch, but often it's much more successful to walk into somebody's office as that salesman and look around and see a photo of the family whose office it is. And then to ask about some of the people that might be in that photo because there's an example of going to the heart. If you're pointing to somebody's children, there's a likelihood that they may be proud to talk about them, happy to talk about them, happy that you're curious about them because the Mm -hmm. bottom line is most people out there don't listen. And when you meet somebody who does, you are much more likely to talk and to open up. So explain that, explain that Cal, and by the way, agree with you 100% around this, this idea that most people don't listen. Explain that a little bit more. Well, all you got to do next time you're in a group conversation is just look around the four people in the group. And you'll literally see as somebody is talking, there'll be somebody else, you can see it in their eyes, that is thinking about how they want to break into the conversation, what they want to say next. Mm. They're not listening to what's going on. And so listening is so key because think about it if you want to be successful you got to ask the right questions even if you're asking the right questions if you're not listening to the answer what good is the best question going to do so listening is huge and my point is by going to the heart you're going to make people willing to open up 
And then once they see that you're listening, they're going to want to open up some more because it's not often that people get listened to. So this is a process of making people open up in an embrace and speak about what really matters to them. Now, Cal, one of the things that happens in this listening and conversation piece, and I've observed this, I remember being at a seminar, and of course we teach it now, and that was a lot of people want to tell a story based on what you just said. So let's say, well, I was in Brazil. So then if I'm not a very good listener, says, yeah, I was down there in Brazil with my family and we went over here. All of a sudden they take the conversation away from the other person to their own, as you said, their own domain. They're in their head. So how, how do I break myself of that? Or what's your comment about that habit or what many people do where they hear you say something, but then they take it into their circle versus rather staying in yours? Okay, fair question. What you can do is practice. And you can get in a conversation with somebody you don't know. And you can ask them where they're from. And then in your mind, you can pretend that you have to make a decision on whether to move to the street that this other person lives on. You've only got a little time to make that decision. And so you need as much information as you can get to figure out if you are going to take the house on that street. Now, you start asking the other person about the neighborhood, the neighbors, the schools, the restaurants, the fire department, everything that you think is important. And even though you're going through an exercise, you're treating this like you need to know this stuff in order to make your decision on whether to move there or not. Mm. And so if you can learn to throw yourself into a conversation like that, and then you can even go deeper by telling yourself, okay, I have got to write this story, this person's story in a book. And once you're thinking like that, you really have to zone in on the person and ask questions that are going to get good stories, make new points, so those two exercises give people a way to become physical listeners and also deep listeners. Now, what do you mean, uh, Cal, when you say physical listeners beyond what you've said so far? I mean, when somebody asks a question and then somebody answers, you see their foreheads start to come together. You see their, maybe their eyes start to squint at times. Maybe they start laughing a lot. There, it's, it's a reaction to what the subject is saying that's making the subject know you are being listened to. And that will propel even deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people now are distracted with devices and trying to have a conversation while they float through their phone. You're talking about being the opposite of that. A hundred percent. There's no, no floating. And in, in fact, I, I encourage direct eye contact and complete listening because you can never know what your next question is unless you listen to the last answer. Mm. I love that. I love that, Cal. It's one of the reasons we do the show that we do. We don't do any prescribed questions because really the flow is organic based on what the guest is doing. So you, you haven't prepared any question for this, this time? That we're I, have, I have in my head in terms of going through your bio and then just allowing the process and flow to go from there and paying attention to what you're saying 
and hopefully having follow-up questions that serve the audience. Well, that's very similar to my style. Mm. And I think that it makes people feel very comfortable, uh, especially when the subject hears the following question and sees that it's, a, that it's attached to the subject's last answer. Mm. It, again, it just shows this person cares about me. They care enough to listen. And it's interesting how so few people do it. And what you're saying is that if I'm going to build deep connections, and you prove that. So I'm actually quite amazed, Cal, that you were able to, I mean, you were younger when you got on that train in Europe, even though you did it for 10 years. Where did this skill, you know, let's like skip back for a second. You're in your early 20s. How did that come about that you had this gift of conversation with total strangers? I mean, half the audience listening to this would just freak out just at the thought. You know, I'll tell you a story. Talk about freaking out. I was speaking at a university business school. And after the talk, a woman came over to me and she said, oh, I got to show you something. You, you Wait till you see this. And she had developed an app. And this app was used by people who were in the, in the technology industry who weren't very verbally communicative. And so these people would go to conferences and they wouldn't be able to look somebody in the eye and have a conversation with them. So what this woman did was she created this app that allowed six people to sit at the same table and they could all type in messages into their phone and communicate with the people they were sitting across without ever talking to them. And I thought, what? <laughs> what? We're creating apps to allow people who are looking across from each other at the table to communicate. But that's where the world is headed. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that that's too good a place. Mm. Well, when you think about physicality, which you've said already, you know, looking at the person's eyes, their body language, that, that of course, is a void of that when you have that going on. Look, when you think of the way we communicate, 10% of the message is the actual words. And then you've got the tone of voice. And maybe that's another 30%. And then you've got the body language that fills out the communication process. And so just passing on text messages is basically delivering a fraction of the messaging mm. as opposed to the whole process, which involves tone, involves the facial and body expressions. And it's going to be, I think it's going to make it much harder for people to understand each other if when we're losing out on the body language because people aren't looking each other in the eye or we're losing out on tone because we're just texting our messages. It's people got to understand what's being lost. Mm. Well, I think that was even proven if you think about what you were doing as you were traveling for that 10 years. Imagine trying to achieve these relationships via text with a person across from you. I suspect it wouldn't have gone as well. Yeah, well, it might, it might be humorous 
<laughs> at first. But I, I think the whole, and it's very interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, there I am on a bus in Tunisia or Rwanda or Peru. And if I can't really speak the language that the person across from me can speak, now we're in a game of charades. Mm. And now we're both working. Now talk about active listening. Now you're talking about active talking and active listening to a try to achieve communication. Mm. Now we can have two people standing right in front of each other, looking each other in the eye, and then down at their cell phones and typing in their messages in their own language and having it sent to the iPhone in the hands right next to them and arriving translated. So this is, we're in whole new territory here. But if you're going to cut out body language and cut out tone of voice, you're going to miss something. Well, of course. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Now, Cal, as we think about, we only have about 10 or 12 minutes left in the show, and I want to make sure that, you know, the listers have some active things to do. I'm going to get into your question side here in a moment. But as a homework, I want to assign the listeners, and of course, you'll do what you want. But Cal's already given you some ideas where get into a situation, a maybe a stranger, maybe it's with people that you know, and move into this active listening. Move into where you're asking questions that go deeper, that are not just about the weather, that are really asking about the individual. And I want to leave that to you as a homework piece so that you can enrich your lives with these conversations and re relationships and the depth of those questions going deeper. Now, Cal, one of the other things that you do keynotes on and talk to other people about and expertise is you're talking about, you know, really change your questions and change your life or change the quality of the questions or change the nature of the questions and you really change everything around you. Explain to the audience a little bit further what you mean by that and also how I do it. Okay. Here's a perfect example. I give a keynote. I finish long line of people waiting to see me and among that line is a CEO of an aviation company and she's with her daughter and she says Cal I don't know how you do it how do you get up in front of hundreds of people and just speak so naturally and she says I wish I could do this it's my dream but I'm just way too scared. And so you basically got somebody who wants to change aspects of their life, but is scared to do so. So I said, okay, let's start with a question. Can you stand in front of a mirror? Yes, this woman said. Can you stand in front of the mirror and speak out a speech that you have written yes she says can you do it over and over and over and over until you've got it memorized yes she says now can you take that speech you've memorized and walk into the kitchen and deliver it to your six-year-old daughter yes she says I don't know if her daughter was six at the time, but mm -hmm. you get the point. Yes, I do. And, and then I say, now, can you do that? And she says, yeah, if, if I memorize a speech, I could go into the kitchen and I could deliver it to, my, to one of my children. And then I said, well, can you walk out on a stage after you've memorized your speech and deliver it only in your mind there's nobody out in the audience you're just envisioning a mirror 
where you're just envisioning that one family member who is listening to you in the kitchen, can you black everything out and just focus on that one family member or on, on, on the mirror that you've memorized a speech in? And she said, I'll, uh, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. About three weeks later, I get an email. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She had memorized her speech and taken it up on stage, given the speech, gotten a great ovation, and was invited to speak at other conferences. So just by changing the questions from I'll, I'll never do this. How can I give this a shot to have you ever written a speech? Have you ever given that speech in front of a mirror? Or can you write a speech? Can you give that speech in front of a mirror? Can you do it over and over again? The questions just shifted and you got great results. The woman was so happy and it made me thrilled to be mm. able to do that. And it's interesting what you pulled out. Even though she was a CEO, there were certain things that she was dealing with, and you gave her a process to overcome it. So as an audience member here today, Cal, what are some things that you can teach me from a principal point of view to change my questions? What, what are some clues or do you have strategies or do you have certain methods that I can um, change my questions? So, I, so while I, I know I'm getting in this conversation, I could do it differently or enhanced or better. Well, I would say the first thing to do is just think about what do you want to change? Is there something in your life that you want to change? Mm -hmm. You particularly, you. Or you're asking me. I'm asking you. Okay. <laughs> I, was writing, I was writing that out to have the follow-up for that. I obviously wasn't physically linking. Is there something I'd want to change? Is there something, like I'll give you an example. I wanted to change my eating habits. Mm. And I just started to go into restaurants, take a little pad with me and just observe my habits and then ask myself questions about them. And I'll give you an example. I'm in a Chinese restaurant and they have little noodles and duck sauce and they serve it very early in the meal it's a little appetizer i would take the noodles dunk it in the duck sauce put it in pop it in my mouth and then immediately go for the next immediately go for the next and pretty soon the bowl of noodles is empty but there's still a little duck sauce so because there's still a little duck sauce i call over the waiter and the waiter brings another bowl of noodles. Mm. So I keep dipping the noodles into the duck sauce, and now the duck sauce is empty. And I still got noodles. So I asked for some more duck sauce, and I finally just asked myself, why do I keep dipping the noodles into the duck sauce? And I realized the answer was, it was a way of connecting with the person across from me at the table. It was the act of breaking bread uh, that made the conversation more connected. Mm. And when I realized that, I said, okay, is there a way to connect in that conversation without dunking the noodle into the duck sauce? And I haven't dunked noodles into duck sauce since. Change your questions, change your life. Wow. Well, thank you for that, uh, Cal. Now, 
I just want to encourage the listeners is that if you're thinking about something you need to change, and by the way, Cal, I, nothing just jumps up in me as far as what I need to change. I've lost some weight recently. Man, I'm you're the active. perfect man. Well, no, no, I'm sure there, I'm, there's, there's things like, well, maybe I want to increase my patience and not uh, get triggered when I get frustrated with people who are uh, maybe not as fast-paced as I am. So that would be something that I would um, build some questions around. So I'll take that uh, as advice from you around that area. So with that, Cal, how can people find out more about what you do? What, what are the different ways that they can get a hold of you? Well, uh, two ways. You can go to calfussman.com and the website will give you a little background, explain what I speak about, uh, talk about how I moderate conversations, and link you to my podcast. And that actually is a really good way for somebody who has questions about asking questions to hit the ground running. Because if I'm interviewing somebody like Larry King, who has spent 60 years asking questions, you are now going to hear two people talking about asking questions. And since I'm interviewing a lot of CEOs of my podcast, uh, very often I'm asking them about the questions they ask to hire uh, or questions that come up in the sales process. And so my questions and their answers can really push this conversation forward. So all you got to do is go to Big Questions with Cal Fussman. Uh, just Google it. It's on Apple and Stitcher and a number of other places. And I think we've got about 15 or 16 episodes will come up. Sweet. Great. Well, congratulations on that, Cal, and moving into the new medium. And like you, I agree with you is that podcast or the audio world uh, does give a lot of flexibility to those of us that are consumers of the content. Uh, it's been in music for a while, but the podcast is really uh, moving forward. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Congratulations to you because how long have you been at this? Uh, well, it's 30 years, but as far as the podcast, we had started it four years ago, took a year break, and so we've been, been back for a couple of years. Curious, why'd you take the year break? Uh, just uh, had a bunch of other things going on and just didn't make it a priority. So if you're going to do podcasting, you have to commit to a regular release. And so we've decided that what can, we can manage is weekly. And so getting gas, doing the production, doing all those items, and that seems to work for us now. Well, that sounds beautiful. It's, it's a path I got to take. Well, there we go. And we're willing to help you in any way as far as share our experiences with you, Cal, on that. And well, you, go ahead. Maybe the next time I get to Vancouver, we will hike. The grouse grind. grind. Yes, we will. And we'll check that the gondola is coming back down for that one <laughs> before we go up. Now, Cal, as a, you know, what I like the guests to do is just, you know, beyond what you've shared with uh, the audience so far, what two or three pieces of wisdom as sort of a final comment can you share with our listeners today around, you know, if it's communications, if it's building relationships, or just things that you've shared along your or learned along your journey uh, that would be helpful for the audience today? Most helpful thing that I've learned in decades of interviewing is never expect the answer that you're looking for to come on the first question. It's mm. probably going to take four questions, five questions, follow-ups, listening to the answers then taking the, your whys deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to the place where the essence of the answer resides. That's the best advice I could give anybody because quite often you see people write out their questions one to 20 on a pad 
They ask the question, they get an answer, and then they move on to the next question. That ain't the way to do it, folks. <laughs> what mm. you want to do is ask a question, listen to the answer, and then follow up so that you're taking it deeper to understand what's at the essence of the answer. And then just keep driving deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to either the nugget of wisdom or the story that illustrates what you're looking for. Mm. Couldn't agree more, Cal. I appreciate that. So, you know, this scripted side, it's really the opposite. It's being authentic. It's, it's paying attention. It is building your questions on what the person just said, which means that I actually have to listen to what you just said. Yeah, that is, look, it all comes down to listening because if you, you can have the best questions in the world. If you're not listening to the answers, it's, it's pointless, especially in light of what I just said, that you need those answers to create your next follow-up question. If you're, if you're not getting a good answer and you can't take something from that answer and turn it into a follow-up that's going to drive it deeper, then you're not going to go any deeper. So it's mm. really attentive listening. And then the quick flight over to a question that basically takes it from point A to the deeper point B. Great. Well, Cal, I couldn't agree more. Thank you for spending the time with us today and being on our show. It's much appreciated. Thank you. So Vancouver or LA, whichever way, it'll be great to see in person. Look you in the eyes, can ask our questions face to face. Well, we're, we're definitely going to do it, and we'll probably have to videotape that so that we can include that in future communications with our Secrets of Success audience. So, Cal, thanks for being on the show. Secrets of Success listeners, thank you for spending the most valuable commodity with us today, and that is your time. And so hopefully we've left you with some uh, items, some nuggets, some strategies so that you can improve your life, improve your conversations, your relationships the nature of how you go about doing things. Now, as we end most shows, we say if you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know about it so that we can grow our community, our tribe, whatever word you want to do. So we thank you again for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.